Koinonia, Christian fellowship, communion with God and with fellow Christians. Koinonia, an association of people who share common beliefs and activities. This is Koinonia. This is Community. And now, your host, Tom Brown. Welcome to Koinonia. This is Mark Buckley. I'm filling in for Tom while he's in Israel this week. I hope he's having a great trip, and I hope you're having a beautiful day here in the Valley of the Sun, November already. And uh, we've got lots of things to talk about in today's program. With me in the studio are my friends George and Susie Stavros. They're living an action-packed life full of grace, adventure, and ministry. I want you to get to know them up close and personal. They've also had pain and heartache and grief. Just like everybody who follows the Lord over a long period of time, there is the uh, bitter and the sweet, and the best is yet to come. Great, uh, George and Susie, thanks so much for being with me today. Thanks, Mark. Good to have you. Um, George, let's begin with you. Uh, Give us a little bit of your background, where you grew up, and how you started following Jesus. Well, Mark, I grew up in uh, Iowa, went to Creighton Medical School, went in the Air Force after that, and in 1965, came out of the Air Force and came to Phoenix in private practice. Uh, it was not till about 1974 that I became to follow the Lord, and it was at that time that I was in family practice, working in family practice and drug abuse. Uh, met Susie at the time and, uh, and uh, was so- going to Bethany Bible, in fact, at the time. We started with Larry Wright's Bible study at Bethany Bible. And that's where we first started coming to know the Lord. Really? Larry Wright had an incredible ministry. It impacted so many people. I was talking with Jimmy Walker. He came to know the Lord that way through Larry. And so did, um, what's his name, East Valley Bible that became retired. Tom Tom Schrader. Schrader, Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, you guys as well. Susie, how about you? Tell us where you're from and, and how your walk with the Lord started. Well, I'm also from Iowa, and I moved out here, and I met George. Actually, his sister had been one of my professors in college, which we didn't know at the time. Really? Yeah, yeah. And um, then George started following Jesus with, um, along with one of our best friends, and I was a little skeptical of mm-hmm. um, what this was George's latest fad or something like that, and I was quite comfortable being orthodox um and you were and, raised in an orthodox church no i, I actually was unitarian but um <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is a little unorthodox <laughs> a little unorthodox but when we got married we got married in the greek orthodox church and uh-huh. um then we went to bethany and life changed through some missionaries uh, we went to a, a missions conference there it's it's amazing what the Lord uses, you know, to, to get a hold of us. And we learn a lot of things the hard way in life, don't we? George, we have. you know, you, you've not always been blessed. You guys are blessed now, but you, you've also gone through a lot of grief in your life. Tell us a little bit of your story. Well, the biggest story was in uh, 1998, our daughter died. Uh, it was a tragic death that led up to a long time. It was a kind of a... Thing coming, but she somebody came in and shot her up with some heroin and cocaine. Uh, she had used some drugs before that, but was clean at the time. And somebody came in and she had never used that before. Uh, she had a chronic health illness. Uh, her pulmonologist told us she'd never lived to be 21 because she was in the hospital so many times. So during that period of time, 
we were always worried about her health, but this was one time that somebody came in and did that. She had some cocaine. She died immediately, and that was a pretty deep depression in our life. And yet it didn't end your life. In some ways, as you went through the pain, God began to hear your cry and open some new doors, and we're going to be talking about that in just a moment. Stay tuned to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley. I'm talking to George and Susan Stavros, and uh, they've been friends of mine, members of Living Streams over the years. They went through a heartbreaking tragedy when their daughter died, and um, they have made the most of their life. Um, Susie, tell us the impact on your heart when Larissa died and, and what you were thinking and feeling at the time. Well... As I knelt down and, and like, kissed her goodbye in a a body bag, I only knew two things. I knew that God was with me, and I knew that my life would never be the same. And I was right on both accounts. And, you know, now, 16 years later, I wouldn't change a thing. Um, I've seen that that out of our misery, and trust me, it was... uh, pretty wretched thing to go through, which I don't think I could have walked through if you and Christina hadn't already walked down that path and and been with us. Um, But we've seen amazing things come from that. I don't think we would have had the courage to, or even the the vision to go to Mexico to start these clinics, to see 2,000 patients a year, to see all these lives changed and people come to the Lord. And it's not through us. It's through a, a whole group of people. But we never would have done that. We we would have stayed in our, our comfortable life. Yeah. A lot of people think that, you know, the, the goal of life is to get the big house up on the hill and, and live happily ever after in luxury. But you guys have discovered that there's something more important than that, isn't there? there there's an opportunity for God to use you that brings fulfillment in a way that, would never be experienced if you weren't willing to risk a little bit. George, tell us the story of how you guys ended up in Mexico. What's well, interesting, right after Larissa died, she died December 16th, and December 26th was the first Mexico outreach that Beth, that uh, Living Streams did that year. Mm-hmm. Not the first one, the first one I went to, and I went down with some guys. I was a little scared to go because it was my first time to go down there, and I went down with them, and they took good care of me, but I had a wonderful time. Took a couple of my kids with me. It was a fantastic time, and it was almost almost immediately at that time I thought, you know, this has got to be something I've got to do because I've always wanted to be a medical missionary all my life. And right. I've, I've loved doing that. I love helping other people, and it, it just kind of opened up from there. Isn't it interesting how the Lord knows the desires of our heart, and sometimes we think it can't work, it can't work, it's not practical, and yet... He can make it work in a way that is beyond 
what we would have pulled off if we had set up the whole thing ourselves. Oh, absolutely. Susie, what did you think the first time George was heading down to Mexico? Oh, I didn't think I was so numb. <laughs> I mean, it was 10 days after our yeah. daughter died. I, I didn't think anything. I didn't think anything for a year, except that like a month later, we went down to Mexico and bought a house. And I'm not sure that at that point we really felt God nudging us mm-hmm. to that we had a real mission and purpose there. I think we thought we were going down to have a, a place to heal on the beach, and yeah, and um, and it, it it was a gradual process. But then at one point, it became very obvious to us God had called us. This is where we were supposed to be. This is this was life to us. Um, a lot of people don't understand that when you lose a child, it's not about whether or not they go to heaven. Um, because by the grace of God, we know, I know my son Matthew's in heaven. You know Larissa's in heaven. It's about the reality of this earth and the fact that you can't hug them and kiss them and be at their birthday and see them get married and watch your kids grow up and see some of the, the dreams and hopes that every young person has be fulfilled. That's, that's what being a parent's all about, right? It's, we lay down our lives so they can give life. And in some ways, Larissa caused you guys more pain than anybody or as much pain as anybody mm-hmm. while she was alive. But you were so invested in her. You yeah. were so in because you loved her so much. You didn't regret what you had done for her. And yet when she's gone, it's just an incredible heartache. And George, it doesn't get over right away, does it? No, oh, people that think that you can get over things quickly are <laughs> foolish to even think that because uh, takes a long time. I probably cried for two years when she died. Uh, uh, it was very sad, very sad, hard thing to go through, and people have to go through a grieving process. If they don't do that, it's it's much more difficult for them. They need to grieve, and they need to grieve deeply, and that's okay. Right, right. People have to realize it's okay to do that for a period of time. It really is. And, and to me, what the grieving process does is it molds us in the inner man. It shows us, um, it, it's like, the, the more you love, the more you hurt. Whether it's a spouse who dies after a long marriage or whether it's a child who dies. And I'm sure it's different for everybody. But the deeper your love, the deeper the pain. The deeper the pain, in one sense, the deeper the purpose of God because he molds and shapes us in the inner man so that we can have capacity to love others and help others. And the, and the impact of the life of the person who's gone to be with the Lord can, lives deeply in those of us who grieve. You know, it's the opposite of what the world says. The world says, oh, you got to get over it. you got to get on with your life. You can't look back. You know, you got to always look forward. Well, we're looking forward, but we're looking forward through different eyes, aren't we? Indeed we are. So tell us, Susie, a little bit about how this ministry began to develop in Mexico. I think it was a God thing. We just found that it was something we could do, a skill that we both had, uh, that we could utilize it without the pressure of an office or this or that. And and the gratitude of of the people was amazing. And we finally hind, fine-tuned it and, and got it so that we wanted to make a real impact. And we figured a couple of ways to do that was to really find out what the community wanted, what the people wanted, rather than us going in with uh, what we felt they needed, what we felt they should have. Mm -hmm. Um, We got involved in the community. 
um, not just the church, but the whole community. We joined Rotary down there every Wednesday morning. We sit there for an hour and a half with them rapid-firing Spanish that we can marginally you understand. Can understand. <laughs> I keep saying, mas despacio, por favor. <laughs> um, but I think that's been the key is that we've been willing to – be a part of their lives we've invested in their lives and it's not just us it's our whole team right so george describe the um typical clinics that you guys will have you're in puerto Penasco, yes and uh, who are you reaching and what are you doing well we have a church down there called family of god church which is a, uh, a, a evangelical christian church down there that we work under but we also have places that we go the, the mayor in fact gave us a couple of acres and a couple of buildings out way out in the barrio where we do a lot of work. We have clinics at least every month. Sometimes we're hoping to have one every month out there and every other month at the church. And uh, we have probably 45 people come down and help us with each clinic. We have interpreters from the University of Arizona. We have physical therapists. We usually have four providers, whether they be physicians, uh, physician's assistants, nurse practitioners, nurses, et cetera. And probably 45 at least come for each clinic. And we, uh, we see people. We... Uh, See them on a free basis. Everything is free. Most of our stuff is donated or we pay for it through donations. Uh, we see people. We triage people. They go through a triage, and before anything else, they're given the gospel. Everybody's prayed for before we see them. Mm-hmm. Then the physician will see them. We have a medication unit there, so we treat them with whatever they need to be treated for. And then they're uh, released. Usually we feed them when they're there, and they, it's kind of a social day for the people. And we have one on a Saturday, so it's 9 to 3. It's very easy for people to come down. They don't have to spend $5,000 to go away for a month, but they come down for a day and help us, and it's uh, it's been very fruitful. That's wonderful. So it's been an interesting team-building thing among the medical people that volunteer, hasn't it, Susie? It's been amazing. Tell us about mm-hmm. that a little bit. Well, we've realized that our mission field is to our volunteers just as much. And we have Muslim volunteers, we have Jewish volunteers, we have Mormon volunteers, we have a little bit of everyone. And we've just invested ourselves in their lives. And um, and we've tried not to preach, but to let people read the Bible through our lives. And, and that's turning out to be really productive. That's wonderful. So how did the Family of God Church develop? A lady by the name of Margie Poldorowski and her husband started a little gathering down there probably 20, 25 years ago, something like that. Mm -hmm. And uh, they met at the local uh, hotel or motel. And uh, then it developed a little further and a little further. And finally one day Margie came to me about close to 10 years ago and said, you know, we had somebody come to church this week that that sang, and he was a pastor before, mm-hmm. and he was working down there, and uh, his name's Tab Gray, and he's uh, he was a t- Nashville singer, but he also was a Dallas Theological graduate, really? and so uh, he started preaching and started doing it, and it's developed from there on, and then we moved. We finally found a building that we got purchased. and uh, It's a beautiful uh, building. I mean, very, did very, you guys fix it up quite a bit? Yes, mm-hmm. a lot. We did. I had a lot of tremendous help from the uh-huh. local people to help fix it up, and it really did a great job. And, and now the church is flourishing, isn't it? Tremendous. I mean, how many people are attending on the weekends? 
We usually have about we usually we have two services. The first service is usually for Americans, and they're usually about in the wintertime, seventy to eighty people mm-hmm. there. And the second service is standing room only, one hundred and twenty. And the good news about that is uh, it's as many men as it is women. Sometimes yes, in foreign wonderful. countries you don't have as many men, but we have as many men come as we do women. Very flourishing. It's going very well. And so your your later service is all in Spanish. Or is it's, it in sp- it's in English with a Spanish, Spanish interpretation. interpretation. The first service is in English with uh, earphone. People have earphones. Okay, great. So you have people that um, spend the winter down there. They are, they're from all over the country. Tell us about the expatriate American community down there. Well, it's American and Canadian. Mm-hmm. And there's a number of uh, people that come down, and most of them really want to serve. So they help us with building projects. They um, help with food bank, with the medical clinics. They they just like to get in and get their feet wet and do anything they can. The the Mexicans uh, that come to the second service, about 75% of them have come to know the Lord and gotten involved in church through the medical clinics. Really? Yeah, that's been a real blessing. And they're learning the joy of getting involved and giving back to the community. Wonderful. My guests are George and Susie Stavros. My name's Mark Buckley. I'm from Living Streams Church. Stay tuned. We'll be right back with more of Koinonia after these messages. to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams Church, and my guests are George and Susie Stavros. Another ministry that's developed um, there in Puerto Penasco while you guys have been there is Young Life. Mm-hmm. Tell us how that's gone. So how did it start, and, and what's happening with it? Well, we talked to Marty Caldwell oh, probably 10 years ago and said, Marty, there's no Young Life down here. And he said, yeah, there's no Young Life anywhere in Mexico. So he told us some steps to get it started, and actually, since we aren't real good in Spanish, Frederick mm. Moore took the ball and mm. ran. He's Is he from, pretty good in Spanish? Oh, my very gosh. Fluent, yeah. Really? Yeah, he's completely fluent. And he took the ball and ran. Now there's um, just opened last weekend in Mexicali a, a shoot-off from the Rocky Point Young Line. Wonderful. Um, and so... and. That's amazing to hear the testimonies of some of those kids. Oh my gosh, to see what God is doing there. What what is happening? They have a I know they have a facility right across the street from your church. That that actually is um the youth building for the church. Okay. But out in the the barrio in the desperately mm-hmm. poor area, the where the mayor gave us 
uh, mm-hmm. two acres of land and some buildings. That's where Young Life is meeting, and they also meet then in the other side of town. By and they family have a bunch of, of kids coming too. Yeah, they, indeed, they do. Yeah, about seventy-five kids come. That's terrific. Each time. And, and who runs their clubs? Who who's the leader down there? Um, well, uh, Alberto Martinez uh, is the Young Life leader. His wife Loli was used to work in California. She's w- was with YWAM, and mm-hmm. she's actually the administrator for our clinics. Really? Yeah. So and they she have works about nine leaders, nine leaders down there. So they well, that's wonderful. And where's their funding come from? Um, it, mostly the U.S., Mexico. Rocky Point's a very, very poor town. Yeah, it's it's interesting yeah. when you say the barrio where it's really poor because. For most of us, anywhere in Puerto Penasco, yeah. other than a few, some of the few homes that Americans have, are, it's very poor, isn't it? It's, yeah. yeah. And, and how, how do the people make it? I mean, are, are they, is the rent just real cheap and utilities cheap? I mean, are they able to get decent jobs? What's the economy based on? For a long period of time, the, the unemployment rate was 53%, which is really wow. after the Depression hit. Yeah, and there are many high rises down there. Many of them are unfinished, so there was a lot of labor going on when they were being built. Mm-hmm. Now, their people are struggling to get jobs, and they're having trouble with that. So, so they've never really recovered from the recession. That's no, what you're it's saying. No, getting better. It's better, but mm-hmm. not not a hundred percent. Are some of the high rises still standing, half completed? Yes, a number of them. Wow. Um, I honestly, I'm amazed how people survive. Mm-hmm. Um. One of the things that we've gotten involved with Rotary, and they got a big grant that we're working with, and Loli actually is administering this, to try and get clean water into all the schools. The schools do not have um, water or bathrooms. So where do so, they, what do the kids drink? Well, Coca-Cola. Really? Uh, bad water and get sick, and then we give them medicine for worms and diarrhea. What and, a grief, huh? Mm-hmm. So uh, if they are going to get clean water into the schools, where would it come from? How would they do it? Um, just the purified water from, like, the big five-gallon okay. bottles. Okay. They're hoping to be able to do a desalination plant down there at some point in they, the future. They, that sounds like they don't have many good freshwater sources then as well. No, not a lot. Yeah, the wells down there are not too good, although the... the uh, Resort areas are pretty good with water. They have their own wells, uh-huh. their own systems, but out in the barrio, which is most of the city. How many people live in the barrio area? Well, the population down there is about 65,000 now. Mm-hmm. So I'm not sure how many you would say live. But in thousands you're talking yeah, about. Thousands, oh, probably. Yeah, thousands. I, don't, I mean, I would ballpark guess maybe 40,000 in, in San Rafael. Really? I grew up in a town called San Rafael <laughs> in Northern California, but it's no barrio. No. Cheapest house is about a million dollars now. Yeah. No. That doesn't mean it's a mansion. It's just very expensive in Northern California. No, these are cardboard shacks. Um, people on Sandy Beach in the resort areas where we live, mm-hmm. um, we have plenty of water, electricity, this and that. Uh, out there they get dribbles of water, if they even have water, mm-hmm. Um no electricity. Uh, the The government tries really hard, but it's a country without a lot of infrastructure, or at least this area is without a lot of infrastructure. And they're really working hard to to meet the needs of the people, but it's just almost overwhelming. So you've gotten to know the mayors over mm-hmm. the years. Mm-hmm. Tell us about that. Well, they've been very supportive. There, most of the mayors are Catholic down there. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, but uh, they've been very supportive of what we're doing. They know exactly what we do. They know how we do it. They see the love of Jesus and what we do with people, mm-hmm. so I think they appreciate that. And we're also helping them because we help the people. So they've been supportive and giving us things, helping us. Uh, the, the ex-mayor's wife is uh, starting a dialysis unit down there, working hard to do that. So we're supplying a lot of the things for that. Um, the mayor's have been very supportive of us, which is a nice thing mm-hmm. because it's nice to have the government support you and know what you do. Right, right. So um, a lot of people are afraid to go to Mexico because they're afraid of the crime, the drugs. They, they used, you know, we're not so much anymore, but we used to be reading about the, the murder rate and everything. Um, how do you cope with that? What, what is your take on that? We have two takes. Number one is uh, we feel it's safer than it is where we live here. Frankly, really? frankly, it's very, very safe down there. We've been down there seventeen years and never had an altercation. There are some. There are some people, there are some cartel people there that periodically will kill each other and things like that. But it's mostly a gang on gang violence. Mm-hmm. But there's never been a collateral killing that I am aware of down there since we've been there at all. Mm-hmm. Secondly, we feel that God has called us, and, and we feel kind of, uh, it's kind of an embarrassing thing to say, but when we invite somebody down, we feel so strongly that why would we invite you down there if we didn't think it was safe? Right, And so we kind of feel bad when people say, well, we're not coming down because it's dangerous because we feel it's safer than it is here, and we love it down there. But but that's, you know, some there's a lot of ways the evil one works, and one way is to create walls and barriers between people. True. And to, to and he also works through fear, right? If, he, if you're afraid to reach out, you're afraid to share your faith, you're afraid to travel, then you're all bound up and it limits you. And you guys have overcome that fear by the grace of God. Well, that goes back perhaps to losing a child. Mm -hmm. Um, You realize that death is not the worst thing that can happen to Mm -hmm. you. In fact, maybe it's the best thing. And second of all, it's a real solid belief that um, God knows when I'm going to draw my last breath. And it doesn't matter where it's going to be he knows where it is Mm -hmm. so with that i can be content amen that's awesome that's really that's really neat so um you've learned a little spanish what would you recommend to people that are uh, wanting to become more fluent have a spanish person live in your house and speak nothing but spanish (laughs) that's what i would do because we've done there so long and we still don't know it well and we, uh, we've gone down to Cuernavaca and a few places for learning. Immersion. Was that helpful? Uh, not, no, not, <laughs> not, not, not like a, We didn't study enough. As it, we was it was fun. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I, think, I think you have to ha- be in an immersion where you have somebody come, perhaps live with you, and speak nothing but Spanish for two or three months. And if you do that, I think you can learn it pretty well. So a lot of people are just into saving for their retirement so that they can be secure in their old age. You guys seem to be on the go all the time. I mean, you travel a lot, not just to Mexico, but all over. You're not, you, you don't seem to be obsessed with how much you can save. You seem to be more uh, concerned with how much you can do for the Lord. Where, where does that come from? Well, where does retirement come from in the Bible? I mean, I don't remember anyone pulling a pension check in the Bible. Yeah, yeah. That that's it's a sad concept in a way. Um, yeah, it's a it's like okay, you work for forty years and then you can just sit back and do nothing. Yeah, as if nothing's a lot of fun. 
Yeah. Nothing isn't that much fun, is it? No. It's very boring. We yeah. love to keep busy, and we just absolutely love what we're doing, and it's fascinating. We just have such a good time, and I, I, I would never want to do anything else. Well, we're both pretty hyper, too, though. We don't sit still well. So how would somebody contact you if they would like to do a medical mission and come and visit one of your clinics? Our website, rockypointmedicalclinics.com. There's a, a space where you can fill out a volunteer form. Great. And then you just do that. And you're looking for what kind of people to help? Pretty much Anybody medical. who can walk and talk? Mm, or, <laughs> no, because we've, kind of we've kind of got it streamlined. So we look mm-hmm. for people with specific skills at this point. If they want to come down and do construction and other mission projects down in Rocky Point, then we can do that. The medical clinics, we we Looking for skilled medical people. Skilled yeah. medical people. I know my wife loves being part of it. She just... Oh, she's, she's invaluable. She's using her gifts. You know, she always wanted to be a doctor or a nurse. And I said, you can't do that because, you know, I need you to be with me in the ministry and I'm just going to tell this a little story aside for our listeners' sake. Um, we had a family move in um, across the street from us. And um, the night after, two days after they moved in, the dad went to prison. And Christina was taking care of the the mom and the six kids. And, I mean, not exclusively, but she was helping, you know, coordinate, you know, meals and and birthday gifts and whatever uh, doctor's appointment for three and a half years. And um, when uh, that mom died a couple of years ago, we went to say goodbye to her, right? Like the night before she died or so. Um, the, the kids pulled Christina aside. There were six kids in the family initially. Their oldest son had drowned. And so there, of the five living kids, four girls and a boy, um, they said to Christina, Christina, if it wasn't for you, we would have been out on the streets. If it wasn't for you, we don't know what would have happened in our life. We just want to thank you so much. And they're saying all this, and I'm looking at them. The four girls are all nurses, and the boy became a doctor. Oh, oh my crazy. gosh. And it, it's so amazing that she wasn't able to live her dream uh, because she was serving Christ and serving yeah. me and our family. But in the process of being faithful to what God gave her to do, she ended up having a bigger impact in medicine than if that had been her whole life call. And now for her to work with you guys and help with these clinics is just brings her great joy. Real blessing to us, Mark. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back with more of Koinonia after these messages.
Welcome back to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. If you're ever interested in visiting Living Streams, we're on the corner of Central and Glendale in Phoenix, and we have services Saturday night and Sunday morning at 9 and 11, and we'd love to have you join us. You can look us up on the web at livingstreams.org. My guests are George and Susie Stavros. Um, They've been involved in missions down in Mexico for a number of years, and they love the Lord. You guys know that not all motives bring good results. I mean, you you can have good motives and get a bad result. That's basically what I'm trying to say. Mm -hmm. What have you learned through experience in missions? What have you seen that hasn't gone so well? What are you um, concerned about when it comes to people that are trying to do missions or help the poor but actually make a bigger mess than they should? Well, actually, we learned a lesson from our daughter when she was in the Peace Corps in the Dominican Republic. Uh, The group that had been there before her had a big going-away party, and they had a big clean-up the whole community. Everyone picked up all the trash. They put it all in bags, hauled it away, had a big cookout that night, and everyone then threw their cans and their papers and everything back out in the fields like it had been there earlier in the day. And the lesson was that was important to the Americans, but it really wasn't part of the value system of the people. Mm -hmm. So we have learned to really find out what is important to them um, and try and give them what is important to them that will make a difference in their life rather than throwing things at them that won't change their lives. We don't take a lot of tangibles and give people 4 million T-shirts and then I feel good because I gave them a T-shirt. They feel Mm -hmm. good. They have a new T-shirt, but nothing's changed. Yeah. Um, When I was in Honduras a few weeks ago, I noticed a lot of trash around. And it makes me sad because in our culture, it's a sign of lack of respect. Um, But like you said, not all people feel quite the same way about that, do they? Um, What have you seen, George, that if you were talking to a group of kids that are going to do missions, what have you seen that, that, what kind of message would you give them in terms of how to go and serve, serve the Lord and really have a significant impact? I think relationships are the biggest thing you can do down there. When you go down and see people, you have a, you try to establish a relationship. When the kids come down, for instance, they, they mix with the kids, they talk with them. They, like I said, show them the love of Jesus. That's most important because they want to see that people care about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you hear the old adage that we don't care how much you know until we know how much you care. And that's a big factor with down there. You want to really care about people. You also want to do what the people really need. And, and we think they need things more than they really do need many times. Mm-hmm. We think they need like the tangible things Susie's talking about, they don't need that so much. Like in the wintertime, for instance, we bring coats down because they do need coats because it's very cold. But but if you go in a lot of the houses down there, they're loaded with clothes that people have given them that they have no use for. And yet we can teach them how to become responsible themselves, and that's one of the things you do. So when kids come down, we have them play with the kids, do vocational things with the kids, do all those things. So for young people, that's what they do. For the older ones and the ones that come and help us in the clinics, they help us pray with them and Mm -hmm. have fun with them and show the love of Jesus. Yeah, to me, one of the things that people need in every single culture is they need a sense of God's purpose, God's calling, God's word in their life. They need 
to know that there is a purpose for working hard. There really is a reason for us to stay faithful in our marriages. There is a reason. Um, and Jesus is the manifestation of that reason. He is the word become flesh. And the word in Greek, the logos, is the meaning and purpose of God. And that when people know him, then they can build a life that will really last. So I want to commend you guys for what you're doing and say, keep up the good work. What, what, what would you like to say to people who have never done any missions? How could they possibly even consider getting started? Well, my, my opinion is uh, just go for it. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't be scared. Uh, if you want to come down with somebody, uh, we can line people up with people to take them down for the first time. Like I said, the first time I went, I went with somebody else from church, and and he kind of hand-carried me through the whole thing. So if they're unrealistic about coming down, we can always get people to drive them down, come down with them. And I think you just have to step out in faith. When you have faith, you know that God is in control of your life. You won't be as scared. You won't be scared to do things. You can do it in faith, and you'll be able to do it. So you've also read some books that you found helpful about missions, how to do it, how not to do it. You want to mention any books? Yeah, well, one of them's called uh, Toxic Charity. One of them's called When Helping Hurts. Um, Serving with Eyes Wide Open. So let's talk about some of those themes. What does toxic charity mean? If uh, you can, like I was talking about, with giving people too many things without any expectations, Mm -hmm. um, without giving any opportunity for them to grow and change. Mm -hmm. You're really doing more harm than you are good. So almost like a codependent parent who's letting their 30-year-old stay around the house and they're not working and they're afraid to put them out on the street or whatever. Exactly, Um, exactly. And is that the same concept of when helping hurts or is it slightly different? Well, they're they're pretty much the same. All the books are the same. But one of the things they say that there are three forms of helping. One is an emergency, like, Mm -hmm. like when Katrina hit. Right. You have emergency care. You have to help the people right away. That's right. emergency care. You do what you can. The second is to help them through the situation and help them get back on their feet. And the third is their long-term goals, what you do long-term. And the long-term goals are the things that these books teach you about, how you do long-term things so it's not so short. Right. Yeah, we, we used to support a mission um, in a little village called Navidad outside of Mexico City. And uh, we helped fund the pastor's salary for many years. And I told our guys, you know, every church needs to tithe to their own pastor and their own leader. And they'd say, well, these guys are really poor and all. But, you know, you can, if you give 10% of whatever, it's going to equal enough to meet the needs that God has for that community. And sure enough, as soon as we stopped sending a monthly check to that pastor, we lost relationship with him. And, and I'm like, Gee, if that's all it was based on, mm-hmm. we weren't building anything healthy to begin with. You know, it, it's it's like you don't know who your friends are if it's completely dependent on a financial thing. And it's so smart when even churches give 10% of whatever they do. We try to advise that for mm-hmm. our churches down there to be sure and give 10% to the mission field of what we do because that's a smart thing to do and that's very wise and that's a godly thing to do anyway. It is. And I I mean, our church has always given at least 10% to missions because the Lord says that, and, you know, we should do unto others as we would have them do unto us. 
and we should set an example for others. And if the church doesn't set an example in the way we manage our finances, how can we expect God's people to do something that the leadership isn't even doing? And that's how the exactly. kingdom grows and expands. All righty, well, George and Susie, I want to thank you very much for being with me today. God bless you guys and your ministry, and give us your website one more time. RockyPointMedicalClinics.com. Wonderful. And you can also find us on Facebook. RockyPointMedicalClinics.com. Thank you very much. Thanks so much, Mark. So I wanted to um, wrap up this segment in these last few minutes by uh, talking about something that is in Psalm 15. Psalm 15 says, talking about who is going to be close to the Lord, says, he who swears to his own hurt and does not change. That means you make a commitment and then it becomes uncomfortable, but you follow through with the commitment because you made a commitment. I, I met some people the other day, invited them to be on our radio program. They told me they would uh, text me and, and I'd give them all the directions and everything. And I never heard from them again. They made a commitment. And then as soon as we were apart from each other, they just completely dropped it. And it made me sad for them. I thought, what kind of leaders are they? These are supposed to be pastors. And I bet they're, they are upset with people in their church because some of the people say, well, I'm going to do Sunday school. And then, well, they stay up late Saturday night and they're not feeling that great Sunday morning. So maybe they call and say, oh, I can't make it. Or maybe they don't even call and just don't show up. That to me is really sad. We have to be able to make a commitment follow through on that commitment, um, come hell or high water, rain or shine, or whatever you want to say, because that's what demonstrates our character. That's what shows the kind of people we are. That's what models to others what it means to be a believer. When we ran Christian bookstores in Northern California, sometimes um, churches wouldn't pay their bills, sometimes for months. And I'm like, what is going on? This church is basically saying, well, we'll pay our salaries, we'll pay our rent, but we ordered Sunday school material from you guys, and we'll just, we'll pay you when we get around to it. Now, we had to pay our bills on time, which means we're carrying them, um, and they're taking advantages of, of us. And it was just a really bad witness, a bad testimony. It's a relationship killer. It, it breaks trust. And the reason that trust is so important, it says in Ephesians 4 that we should strive to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. When there's unity in the Spirit and there's a bond of peace, then we can experience the power of God. When the unity of the Spirit is broken because somebody's being untrustworthy or somebody's being mean or selfish or unforgiving or whatever it is. People are being irresponsible. People are not keeping their commitments. You break the unity of the Spirit and you fail to experience the power of God. You quench the Holy Spirit. And how are we going to bring life to others in Christ unless we're sharing the love that he's given us, unless we're sharing the life that he's given us and that happens when we're abiding in the spirit of unity together, just like the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So I want to um, elaborate on this for a few minutes after this break. Just wanting to give you something to think about. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. 
Stay tuned. We're going to be back to wrap up the program after these messages. Welcome back to Koinonia. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams, and I wanted to share a couple of ideas with you from Ephesians chapter 4. And what it says in Ephesians 4 is, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body, one Spirit just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. When Jesus ascended, he gave gifts to men. You have a unique gift. You have a gift that was given to you when Jesus ascended. He led captives in his train. A few weeks ago, the American Special Forces sent Joshua Wheeler into harm's way. He accompanied some Kurds on a rescue mission because there were graves being dug by ISIS outside of a prison compound. Joshua Wheeler died so that 70 prisoners of ISIS could be set free. He was airlifted in the helicopter and dead upon arrival. But those men who were freed, they had gifts given to them. They had food, they had clothing, they had medical care. And most of all, they were free to live life as God called them to live it. We have been freed by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. We've been freed from fear. We've been freed from shame and guilt and sin. We have been freed to live the life that God has called us to live. I hope you'll live that life boldly. I hope you'll share your faith freely. I hope that you will make your life count and invest your resources in the kingdom of God. You won't regret it. Jesus came to give us eternal life. I'm Mark Buckley from Living Streams. If you ever want to visit us, look us up on the web at livingstreams.org or come visit Central and Glendale Sunday morning at 9 and 11, Saturday night at 5.30. God bless you. Connecting faith and life. Faith Talk.